Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone. Your journey, our passion. And by Chevrolet. Chevy runs deep. This is AutoLine After Hours with John McElroy, episode 162 for August 24th. Camaro ZL Wow. Watch AutoLine After Hours live at AutoLine.tv every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time or 2200 GMT. You can subscribe to this podcast for free by searching for AutoLine in iTunes, Stitcher, or by following the links on our website. I feel like saying Peter Boombaya, Peter Boombaya. <laughs> Buongiorno, Johnny. It's good to see you, man. Good to see you. And I'm saying the Boombaya. I don't know if you ever saw this uh, movie called uh, When We Were Kings. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, you know what? When Ali went to fight Fraser in the Rumble a, in the Jungle. It was just an awesome <laughs> movie, too. Awesome documentary. Yeah. Maybe the best documentary I've ever seen. Yeah, and, that, that uh, was something. But that's what Ali got everybody in, where was that, the Congo, wasn't it? Yeah. No, well, Zimbabwe or whatever, but going, Ali, Bumbaya. Yeah. So I'm thinking Peter, Bumbaya, <laughs> because you laid down a rant this week on your website that, again... Is for the second week in a row has got this town buzzing. Yeah, it was kind of part two of uh, the, the column from the week before about uh, GM's issues. I think they have a they have a per, perpetual image problem with uh, Mr. Ackerson, and uh, I think there's a tone deafness down there that I, I don't understand. Really, because there's smarter people than that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've been hearing them from a lot of moles inside, and the amazing thing are the dealers. Hmm. Dealers are not happy. You know, they're happy with the product, mm-hmm. but they're not happy with uh, anything else. And, you know, it's kind of a leadership style that I'm questioning. I mean, people don't like to be called out and being told that they're not doing all that great when, in fact, as we've discussed, you know, GM probably has their finest lineup of vehicles in their history right now. I would agree. I mean, they had some great stuff in their heyday when they controlled 48% of the market, but they have some 
tremendous and it's not just the ZL1s and the ZR1s and the Z06s of the world it's you know the Sonic and the Cruise and you know they're they're building some really really good stuff they are uh they're crossover vehicles very competent both midsize and large size and uh a uh, whole number of other things. You know, we've talked a lot about the ATS on this program and uh, yeah. what a huge step forward that is. Uh, from a, a design engineering manufacturing standpoint, much less just the experience of the car itself. Yeah, and, you know, the reviewers who've had a chance to drive it are all saying, you know, wow, you know, it is, it is the most uh, bold 3 Series competitor to come along mm -hmm. in ever right so so the problem ain't the product no it isn't i think it's a matter of style it's uh it's a matter of you mean management style yeah management style um you know kind of a when i say tone deaf i just you know i think there's a lack of a gut feel for what's going on um mm -hmm. you know i hate to mention the the two other people in town uh, and even though I have my quarrels with uh, Sergio's way, I mean, there's no question he's a smart guy and he knows a lot about the business. And here's uh, Mr. Mullally, who everyone said, well, he comes from the aviation business. Well, exactly. He came from a business that understands manufacturing, uh, dealing with workers, um, selling to customers, selling <laughs> to customers who are the airlines, but in fact are everyday consumers who experience the planes so um and it's a matter matter of style uh -huh. you know and i think uh i think ackerson has had trouble ever since he took over you know he yeah well to me style's important but you know uh at the end of the day it's all about results yeah and uh, as we've talked about uh the results at chrysler i think are astonishing in fact they even started to grow market share when they had crap in the showroom. Yeah. Uh, it was just a new organizational approach to how to do things. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about here extensively, in fact, we got to get him on the show, is get Malali on here because... Yeah, Alan said he would do it. He, so. he, did, he has. He told us that. It, he told me he'd do it. He, want, he told me he wants to... Yeah. He'd love to be in this chair here. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that he's changing the culture at Ford. And he's... Uh, He's doing it in a, I think, uh, a brilliant leadership way. So, yeah, to your point, when you you look at the results, they're they're really there at Chrysler and Ford. Yeah, and I, and I think you know people inside GM would maybe quarrel with the, with the opinion that they're underperforming the market. Um, and I don't know. I guess we could debate that, but I would think they would be doing a lot better than they are now with the products they have. Mm -hmm. In other words, they should be doing better mm -hmm. in the market. Well, you might have said a key thing here. I mean, if the dealers aren't happy and if the factory's not working well with its stores, there could be a real breakdown there. Well, I don't think there's a, there is a, I've talked to several old time, very experienced dealers, dealers who have served on management boards of dealer boards and, you know, their concern is they don't get the feeling that uh, Dan really wants to spend any time understanding their world. And, you know, you, you've got to do that. Yeah. Well, it's a car business. You know, yeah. you make a product and people have got to want to buy it. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of magic that makes that happen. You can check all the boxes like the old GM did. 
and came out with thoroughly competent cars that were boring as hell. And then they had to incentivize the craziness out of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if you, <laughs> and we saw the miracle happen when Lutz got in there. You saw how quickly that could change. One design cycle, boom, it was, you know, they were right there. So yeah. uh, you need people who truly understand manufacturing, as you say, but really understand the car business. Well, when I speak of management style, I really think there's a lot to it because, um, you know, Ackerson has a naval background and, you know, I appreciate anyone who's served. Uh, but it's one thing to order around a bunch of 19-year-olds uh, on deck who, you know, who are really don't have any other options and you know that's that's one way uh, but you know when you have a, a vast company like this they're not going to respond to that kind of uh, uh-huh. style like the blunderbuss effect like you know yeah look uh people don't and uh you know the analogy that i drew that i used on autoline daily was it's like president jimmy carter sometime in the late 1970s, telling the country that it's suffering from a malaise. Well, that didn't work. And then you had Ronald Reagan come along and say, uh, it's morning in America, yeah. and, and win by a landslide. So uh, it's, uh, so I think Ackerson, it's a style of, uh, yeah. of leadership. that yeah. you, you don't go berate your people to expect them to start to rally behind what you want them to do. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, this week's calm gave... Uh, readers a little glimpse into the battles that go on i don't think you know a lot of people within the industry don't know that oh. that goes on mm-hmm. but there are a lot of battles and give and take between pr staff pr leaders and media people and you know if you're deemed as someone who writes a favorable story quote unquote then you get access mm-hmm. and media people the one thing they absolutely must have is access correct I don't. Uh-huh. I don't need access. Uh-huh. I, you know, I have a pretty good judge of people, and I have a real good feel of people, and I have moles everywhere, and I don't need to sit in a room with a group interview with a bunch of other media guys getting a feel for the new CEO of whatever the company. So that doesn't really work with me, uh-huh. and I think that's that's frustrated many a PR uh, leader and staff, but that's okay. You know, I've always said, you know, I I cause them as I seize them. And plus, you know, when I set out to do the site, I set out to influence the influencers. And, you know, and I I also, we also said, you know, we're going to talk about stuff that's usually talked about off the record. Mm -hmm. Or as they say, in deep background, which means you're you're having a few pops in the bar with your (laughs) colleagues. and Yeah, they just don't want to get burned. Yeah. So, and, but I've always... You know, our extremist has always been sort of extreme in that we we talk about what everybody's talking about that they're allegedly they either don't want people to hear or you know for political reasons they can't afford to have people here. Mm-hmm. So, no, that's right. And uh, this town has got an amazing underground, an amazing grapevine. You know, there's all kinds of conduits of information here. And it's amazing, too, the various different levels that you pick it up on. Well, you were just out on the West Coast. Right. You know, I mean, the Internet's obviously changed everything. But, you know, uh, it's a very small industry. Yeah. Because you have people on the West Coast embedded in all the West Coast import car companies 
Half of them worked in Detroit at one time or the other. So a lot of them, a lot of them did. Yeah, a lot absolutely. Of them did. A lot of their executives too. Yeah, and we used to joke as soon as their plane crossed over into the California airspace, it was just like Detroit. No, I, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, you know. So yeah, my comments have been over the last two weeks have reverberated around pretty oh. uh, uh, wildly, actually. Yeah. Uh, next week I won't be writing about GM. So. Well, you don't want to. Flog a, a dead horse. No, no. I and mean, I'm not trying to say that GM's dead. I'm just no. making, I'm using an old cliche. I just think there's a vast disconnect between the leadership at GM and the true believers who are doing the work. Right. And the true believers are doing a tremendous job. Right. And you celebrate yeah. their victories. You celebrate their successes. You celebrate their achievements. You don't go and berate them that well, they're not doing enough. Well, you don't say, oh, we don't do world-class engines and transmissions. Really? I think that there's some great engines and not just, uh -huh. you know, not just the show ponies. Not just the, the performance. But, ones, right? you know, they're, they're small turbos are superb, you know. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well. Oh, well. Right. How was that Honda that you can't talk about? <laughs> um, they got a good car. You know, I... Uh, you're right. I, I was just out on uh, for one of the the waves of the media launch for the Accord. Uh, it's embargoed, so I can't talk a whole lot about it right now. But I can say they've got a very competent car. Um, can talk about the styling because they released uh, photos of it. You know, going back. They always look different in in the flesh, though. Yeah, they do, and. Uh, but this one's close to the photos. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a competent design, but it, it's not the kind of design that would ever set my heart on fire. But didn't, or did you want to relay that quote? Maybe you don't want to, but the guy said that kind of struck you as odd. Oh, no, I think I can say this, is that uh, in the course of their presentation, they said they don't care about having the best styling or the best fuel economy, which shocked me. Because now what they did say is we want the best all-around car, and it is a very good all-around car. Um, but that's not something the old Honda. Would no, say. the old Honda loved to be the leader in fuel economy. Yeah. Absolutely thrived on it. And what you know, companies like Hyundai and Ford and others will tell you is that it is critically important for your brand to be viewed as fuel efficient, and and the death for it to be viewed as fuel inefficient. Well, I think fuel efficient is the new safety. Mm -hmm. It used to be there was a lot of hand wringing about safety, but now, I mean, you know, actually safe cars, I mean, it's price of entry, but right. fuel economy is a, is a big deal. And, you know, witness Ford's unbelievable, I mean, really incredible numbers on the new C-Max, you know, 47 in the city, 47 yeah, in the highway. Right. I mean, you know, that's That's really something. impressive. Yeah. Speaking of safety, what did you think of this IIHS uh what do they call it, small offset crash test. Well, you know what, I, I really got an issue with it. Um, I mean, you can crash test vehicles to the point where, uh, you know, you can come up with every contingency. You know, now this is the latest one. Mm -hmm. you, you know, and I'm just wondering, uh, you know, where does it stop? I mean, you know, walking around or driving around, you know, isn't, there's no guarantees. You know, right. you're going to get, there are accidents will happen, but I don't think we can construct our vehicles to be absolutely bulletproof. This goes back to, right. remember when John DeLorean hooked up with Allstate and when they first developed airbags, and the, the whole thing was, well, well, you don't have to wear a seatbelt with the airbags. It's just like, well, wait a minute. I mean, what are you doing? You know, um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think 
Do those crashes happen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, are we going to end up with tanks eventually that no one can afford? And yeah, we, if if it goes unchecked, yeah. I, I just don't understand the mentality that oh, we have to make it so nothing bad ever happens. Yeah. I don't think yeah. that. Well, um, there were two cars that got good ratings, uh, the Acura TL and the Volvo S60. Um, and while I can't say a whole lot about what Honda told me, because their car qualified, um, is that starting this fall, all their new models will meet that standard. And so to... I can say the new Accord is coming this fall, so logically you could say that yeah. the new Honda Accord will meet that standard. What's that weird German test? Uh, we need a name for this test, a kind of a catchy name, if they're going to keep doing it. <laughs> Is that test in Germany where they, they evade? You, you the, mean like uh, the moose test? Yeah, or yeah. The elk test. Yeah, yeah. Right. We need something for this. Yeah. Like the drunk at two in the morning test. Right. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, you know, to your point, you can meet the standard, but it adds mass to the car. So, uh, you know, which works uh, against you because that mass has got to be in the front of the car where it's going to affect the handling and it's going to burn more fuel. There's no two ways around it. And then, you know, the words coming out of Volkswagen that the new Golf, the next-gen Golf, is 200 pounds lighter. Yeah, yeah. Because of this this platform, this architecture. Uh, I wonder if it meets this uh, small offset crash Yeah, test. I don't know. Well, uh, what else were we going to talk Oh, David Champion. Oh, David Champion leaving... Uh, Consumer Reports and going to Nissan as a, a testing guy. Now, speaking of jihads, Consumer yeah. Reports has been on a jihad against Ford for two years now. On uh, My Ford Touch. My Ford Touch. And, you know, Ford has, has upgraded it. You like I told you today on the phone, I don't even exploit 10% of these systems on these cars. I just don't. I mean, I, I got you know, get the temperature right. And if you have to use a nav once in a while, fine. Otherwise, you know, I, I'm driving. You know, I want to drive. And but they've been on a jihad, and in recently, today they just had another blast. Like you, you what did they say? It was junk, or they said it stinks. Yeah, in its headline, and you know, I find that a, a very curious word for a somewhat proper organization to use. In, I mean, this is like getting into tabloid kind of headlines. Well, they're trying blaring to blaring out yeah. that Ford's system stinks. They're trying to get attention, and you know, yeah. And they're, then here's media hungry. And here's David Champin going over to Nissan to become what guru of making cars better. Well, you or know, whatever the title I, I think is. it's extremely intelligent of Nissan to do this. Yes, I agree. Consumer but... Reports, thanks to David Champion in a lot of uh, ways, has got this great reputation for evaluating cars and and I think they do a good job of evaluating cars. I don't think their quality ratings are worth it, but uh but yeah, nonetheless I, I think it's brilliant for Nissan to hire him. But to your point, here's David. No I mean when did he know this job was coming? Well, months he, ago. Yeah, right? he had to have been talking months ago and yet Consumer Reports kept firing away. Yeah, it's a little... Well, you know, look, I, I agree with some of their criticisms about the MyFord Touch system. And I'm, in fact, driving a Dodge Dart Turbo right now with the Uconnect system, which they praise. And I do agree, it's a better system. But is it that much better? Yeah, it's better. Is the Ford system so terrible that it stinks? No. Nah. 
So it's very curious to see, you know, this this media, you know, uh, foray that they're launching into, because yeah, uh, the UConnect system is better than Ford's, but we're not talking massive degrees here by any stretch. Yeah, and you know, well, I know you know David. I don't know him, but you know, it doesn't look good. Yeah, just before he goes to Nissan, right? Uh, you know, who's Ford is one of Nissan's obviously. Mainstream competitors, direct competitors. Uh-huh. How about that commercial break, man? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to it, Ben. Well, hey, we've got to tell everybody who's watching right now, we've got Al Oppenheiser, the chief engineer. Do I have that right? Yes, for the, you do. The Camaro. Now, you guys all just changed all those titles and everything, right? We did. We changed titles. but the... so, well, so two weeks ago, what was your title? Chief engineer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tough to explain in 20 minutes, but um, I'm still waiting for the increased pay to come with the increased responsibility. Oh, sure. I know. We That's were just talking last time Al and I were together was in the back seat of one of the Camaro Pace cars at the start of the Indy 500 two years ago. Two years ago. It was, it was, it was awesome. You had a great quote when we, we made our lap and got off at the pits and you said, I can die now. That was incredible. <laughs> it, you know, um, it was such a, a fantastic opportunity. I know Jim Campbell, Mark Rice corralled me and said, you know, we got a slot. I said, yeah. But uh, to see the crowd at that speedway is just unbelievable. When the crowd is drowning out the, si- the sound of the race engines on the pace laps, just amazing. <laughs> really, really and, yeah. you know, I've heard drivers in the 60s, 70s, 80s, all throughout Indy history saying, yeah, we run around here all week and it's or all month and it's empty. And then when you get on race day, you can't believe the crowd and going into turn one, it looks like a tunnel. And that it's was a all, wall of humanity. I right. mean, literally a wall. In fact, it's so surreal almost. It almost looks like a George Lucas set, you know, of some sort of when weird. We, yeah, when we went into three and came out of four and and aim down the front straight. It was just like, wow, this is something. Once in a lifetime deal. It was. It was great. So, chief engineer. So this is your baby. In fact, we should point out to everybody we happen to have a ZL1, and we're going to talk a lot about this car, but all things Camaro too. Uh, how you, you got involved with this from the very beginning? I mean, how involved are you in this car? Uh, very involved, John. Um, I was actually in the room when. Uh, Ed Welburn, uh, we used to have what was called the Gang of Five. It was Ed Welburn, uh, Rick Wagner, Bob Lutz, uh, John Smith, and Jim Queen. Um, we used to decide, or I should say they used to decide what concepts we were going to do for the next year's auto show. And we were actually going to do a, a Corvette concept car that ended up in the Transformers second movie. The and Stingray. The Stingray. And mm-hmm. at the time, uh, Bob Lutz had said that he didn't want to do that. Uh, Dave Hill didn't want to do that because we were going to be introducing the ZR1, and he didn't want anything stealing his thunder. And so we were struggling on what were we going to do to make a splash at the auto show. And um, it was my responsibility to build the concept cars, and those take quite a while to do. And uh, so I said, hey, look, I've got you five together for maybe ten more minutes, and if we don't decide we're going to be late and I don't see anything here that's grabbing any of you. And Ed Welburn said, if I can only do one car and I got to make a big splash, I think it's time to bring the Camaro back. And it was, I mean, I had goosebumps. It was just great. It was great. And I was really, uh, it was a thrill of a lifetime to be in the room when they decided that. Well, as we know, Ed's a huge Camaro fan. Oh yeah. Has 
and told us about it. You know, yeah. had two studios, right? Working he did on two different designs. He did. We had a more of a retro-looking one than today's car, and um, we were looking at the full-size clay again with the leadership. And uh, he just had a notion that we needed to go more contemporary because at the time we knew Chrysler was going to come out with a Challenger, hadn't seen it yet and Ford was getting dated, and so we figured they were going to come out with something new. And if we came out with a retro-looking one, you might sell the first year, second year to the people that have been waiting eight years for it to come back, Yeah. but then what do you do? Right. So uh, very, very um, astute uh, judge of the Camaro world. Uh, Ed had another uh, clay concept going on in Tom Peter's studio in the basement, and, of course, very near to what you see here today. Hmm. In the basement. Studio X. Yeah, Studio uh -oh. X. <laughs> well, I'll just say Ed sort of, Ed, when we were over there, Ed sort of waved in the general direction of That's Studio right. X. That's right. So tell us about, um, so we have the standard Camaro with uh, with the V6. How, many, how much horsepower? 323 horse. It's our, Which uh, was an increase. That was it. It was an increase. From an um, intro. Right. And then from there you go... As a buyer, you go to the SS, right, which that's is four hundred and twenty-six. That's the LS three, right. Now, then the big leap is to this car, which we just had for a week at Auto Extremis, and we absolutely loved it. It's just amazing for a big car, a lot of mass. Just talking ZL one, yeah, ZL one. How blindingly fast it is. Before, but before we talk about this, tell us about the one LE. The one LE, okay. I've got several team members that wanted to make sure I got a chance, so thank you. We watched your show on Woodward. And um, Jim Hall said it was just uh, a tape job, come which on, it isn't. Yeah. It's not. But uh, seriously, um, when we were developing the suspension for the ZL1, uh, we had an SS out there that we were doing things like increasing the length of the rear stab bar, and we created the drop links and the lower control arms that you see today. And lo and behold, on the way to creating the ZL1, we came up with a track car, and when we first came out with the car, we got dropped from the 10 best list, which we were all disappointed, and Angus McKenzie had written us a letter, and he said, hey, the reason you dropped out was because this has terminal understeer, the SS that was, and so um, I communicated back to him that it was our commitment that we are going to continue to work on that, although 2% of the market will tell us that we have a terminal understeer problem, the rest of the 98%, yeah. they love the car. Yeah. So as we started to develop the ZL1 suspension, driving around in the SS, and it was a yellow SS, and we bought aftermarket black wheels, and so because of the Transformer movie, we called it internally, we called it Yellow Jacket. And uh, so then we added a 391 final drive, close ratio gearbox, um, the ZL1 front and rear uh, wheels, and then we stretched the ZL1 tires uh, from the front uh, onto the rear wheels. Um, and then we gave it a unique look, and uh, the Camaro uh, fans out there know that the 1LE was Chevrolet's help with the uh, SECA and the Canadian Players Association uh, uh, series back in the mid-'80s where um, you couldn't change suspension parts, but you, I should say, you could change suspension parts, but you couldn't change brakes, and they were well under brake. Um, so uh, some of the guys that still work uh, at GM in performance developed brake packages, um, developed uh, aluminum uh, drive shaft and, and uh, gearbox, 
and uh, all of a sudden Camaro started winning at the track. And so to pay tribute to the work that Chevy did with those folks, and that was an RPO called the 1LE. We brought it back and we distinguish it from the SS by putting a flat black hood wrap on it. It sets it apart from the SS it comes from, but it's the 426 horsepower LS3. Uh, we've got monotube dampers, um, again, the 391 um, final drive and the, sh and the uh, sh other bits from the ZL1 are the short throw shifter, wheels and tires, and then we have a unique splitter on the front and rear. But we just um, had one of our best drivers, Aaron Link, burn a lap at VIR at 258, which is phenomenal yeah. for an SS Camaro with this track package. What would the top Mustang turn time-wise? Not that I would know what a Mustang turns, but the 302 was a 303 minutes and four seconds. And so for 3,500 bucks added onto an SS, which is about $7,000 cheaper than a Boss 302, according, of course, this is our test guys, but uh, we feel confident that uh, when Car and Driver does their lightning laps, that we're going to be in that uh, sub three minute category. And, and that would put it, if they ran the time that we ran, that would put it in the top lightning lap two category and put it as the 18th fastest car that they would have evaluated. So uh. we'll wait to see what they do. So it's aimed at the real hardcore enthusiasts. And what's the package cost again? It's about $3,500 and then just check the box for the 1LE option. Mm -hmm. um, and you got a much more serious car. Much more serious car. It's for that 2% we talked about mm -hmm. that uh, really want to take it in a weekend racing, um, we are working with um, a gentleman uh, that races T2 in SECA. Uh, he's now racing with 1LE bits on his car, and he's been getting pole positions. And we're very encouraged. He looks like he uh, going to make the runoffs. Make the runoffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're hoping that word gets out that you can update your. Uh, the other thing we're doing is you can soon update your 2010, 11, or 12 SS Camaro with a 1LE performance parts kit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so uh, we really want to go after uh, uh, the racer, uh, the Camaro spirit of, of the 1LE. Yeah. I love hearing how you're so much into racing, and I'm sure that you're learning stuff on the track that's way, making its way back to the car. Absolutely. Um, our goal, of course, we've got Camaros participating in the GT Series uh, in Grand Am Cup racing, um, and as you saw a few months or a few weeks ago, we announced we're going to be in the Nationwide Series with the Camaro body next February. Um, we're really working hard with Jim Campbell and his organization and trying to find pockets where Camaro can be a success. And of course, our Copo Camaro is just oh, outstanding. That's, that's awesome. Uh, you know, Jamie, Doctor Jamie Meyer, uh, myself, when we go to Camaro shows, we go to drag races. We hear a lot from. Uh, the first-gen old-timers that say, hey, we've done everything you can do with a first-gen Camaro, and we can't beat the new Mustang and the new Challenger who have updated their new body styles for the drag strip. And so please do something with this fifth-generation Camaro. And the Copo Camaro, as you've seen in the news, has been recently doing some great things on the drag Let's strip. Let's remind the listeners and viewers what Copo stands for. Central Office Production Order, C-O-P-O. Back in the... Late 60s, right. there were some wild Copo cars that right. escaped, 427 Camaros and stuff like that. So what are some of the differences with the Copo Camaro? Well, the Copo starts as a rolling chassis from Oshawa assembly plant and goes to an upfitter and uh, gets... Um, so it's a hand-built car. It's, hand -built a, it's car. a drag car. It's, a, it's definitely a drag car. It's, it's, it's not a street-legal car. Uh -huh. It's meant for the drag strip. And but it has production sheet metal. It has production sheet metal, showroom stock. Uh-huh. Right. 
How showroom stock is the the nationwide though? That's that it's just a step in the right direction. It's a right? step in the right direction. Um, not quite showroom stock, but yeah. uh, actually, the nationwide cars are not going to be as production uh, similar as the new Sprint Cup cars are. Right. Really? Yeah, the new Sprint Cup cars definitely have a production, more production look than the nationwide cars. Oh, nationwide cars kind of look like funny cars. But the new Sprint Cup cars, I mean, the Whoa. the new Chevrolet SS, the Ford Fusion, the Toyota Camry, I mean, they definitely have... They look more like what's in the show. Uh, well, it's what uh, NASCAR's need to do. Yeah, I mean, right. when they went to the uh, car of tomorrow, it was safe and all that, but they homogenized them all. Right. And they found that was... Uh, they alienated a lot of their hardcore fans. Mm-hmm. So... We just had the ZL1, and man, we loved it. I loved your article, by the way. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, so you the wrote the about extremism. Well, we right? did. I, I did on the table, and Bud did yeah. uh, Roadkill. Mm-hmm. Roadkill was great. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just people outside the business, a lot of viewers or enthusiasts, they don't understand, you know, appreciate the work that goes in these cars and the enthusiasts behind them. But, but the moment you get behind the wheel, you know that the enthusiasts were behind the development. And uh, it's just pretty impressive. I mean, granted, it's, you know, 4,100 pounds, but when you're nailing it, it doesn't feel like 4,100 pounds. Not at all. Not at all. And uh, And the brakes and the turn-in, and wow, it's something. You know, one of the things, I'm glad you brought up the mass issue because I'm sure someone will call in a question on it. We always get hit on mass. So occasionally I'll ask somebody, what do you mean it's heavy? What do you mean it's the mass problem? Uh, and they don't really know, or they just read about it. Well, they just hear. You know. Right. So I'll just tell you, if you take a Camaro and you look at the frontal area, which is the way it is because of the track width, and by the way, as you know, track width and tire patch get you wins on the on the racetrack, which we do. We beat our competition handily, and you know, you've seen all the blogging wars go on, but very confident in this car that it can beat anything in its segment on the track. Um, so if you take the frontal area, if you take the wheels and tires, which the number one reason people buy a Camaro is because of the styling. Biggest reason within the styling is the split front and rear 20-inch wheels and tires. So if you take the styling from the tires and wheels, if you take the frontal area, which helps us win on the track, and if you take the independent rear suspension, which helps you win on the track, and uh, regular road driving, those three things, that's about 280 pounds. Huh. So if you take a Mustang versus Camaro, model by model, from a V6 all the way up to their high-performance model, we're about 280 to 300 pounds difference. So the things that we get uh, negative input because we're heavy are the things that help it be number one in the segment for three straight years. <laughs> <laughs> Just interesting that's, information. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> but. I'll bet the next time you make a lighter Camaro. We're always trying to make a lighter Camaro. In fact, some of the things on the ZL1, um, the wheels and tires on this are um, forged. Uh, they're 22 pounds lighter as a uh, in, in the corners than the SS it comes from, which is where you want mass out at the unsprung corners. Yeah. Uh, you see the carbon fiber hood insert, which uh-huh. helps uh, you know get the mass down in the car, and it's basically near 50-50 split front and rear weight distribution. Right. So, and, you know, we've done things from the initial design, like we put the battery in the rear tub, again, to try to get that 50-50 balance. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, uh, you kind of, 
uh, as someone at work says, you uh, you dance with the girl you brought. Right. Um, it's a it's a large architecture, but we've made great use of it, especially in the ZL1 on uh, trying to get it around the track faster than the other guy. Yeah. So tell us, you mentioned something before we came out, and I thought that was very cool. Now, GM has uh, a high-performance driving course, which they just instituted when Bob Lutz came on, right? Or was it in right. the works before Bob? Well, it was affectionately called the Lutzberg Ring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, it's the MRC. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to be there for any media events, but uh, yeah, I have. It's, it's a fantastic track that takes... Uh, uh, Perumps from Spring Mountain. It takes uh, you know, different portions of the track from great tracks around the world, and uh, basically the car is never in a steady state. Um, and we do all of our development work out there uh, for performance cars. And what I was mentioning to you, Peter, was um, the 24-hour test that we run, um, which I think our listeners and viewers would be fascinated because that sounds like wow. Yeah, it's not 24 start the clock and end 24 hours later. It's 24 accumulated hours. We have some of the top drivers um, anywhere I put them up. You guys maybe have met Jim Merrow, uh, well, Aaron he's, Link. He's, he's the guy that did the ZR1 right. record at the Nürburgring. I mean, we, right, and we have just top-notch drivers, and they're all what we call level three uh, certified. They all, all drive the Nürburgring, but they put their time in. Usually it's a tank of fuel, which is about 15 to 20 laps, car depending. How long is the, the course? Uh, it's 2.2 miles. Right. I probably, I think I have that right. Um, but uh, average speed is by 85 miles an hour, average track speed. Um, but the 24-hour test is meant to uh, test the durability of the parts. And not only do we, did we develop things like the fuel pump, and we um, actually used our math modeling to uh, follow the fuel slosh as it went around the track, and we added extra pickup points so that basically we can suck the tank of fuel dry on the racetrack um, instead of fuel stumble at three-eighths of a tank or something. Mm -hmm. But um, we ran the endurance, uh, accumulated 24 hours on the car, um, and the requirement to pass is you're not basically breaking parts. You're not basically uh, changing uh, brake pads. Uh, you know, we do tire inspections, change them as required, but the chassis, the powertrain, all the parts are supposed to survive the 24-hour accumulated time. And the cool thing about the ZL1 was um, Mark Royce, as you know, is quite a driver himself. Um, we let him do the last leg. Uh, he's been so much part of this car uh, from yeah. day one that uh, it was kind of cool to have him come out and do the last leg. And we got a team picture with him. And yeah, But cool. uh, he did take the car out. You were mentioning earlier he took the car out west with him and was able to talk to the media early um, and speaking from experience, which is really cool when your leadership can speak from track experience on their own. Yeah, last no doubt about it. He did that no. last December, right? Right. Yeah. I, I, th I think that's awesome. Uh, I just love hearing true car guys and gals at executive levels going to the point of burning up a whole tank full in your 24-hour endurance. Right. And so he's obviously level three certified as well. He is. He is. <laughs> See, that's how you get great cars. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's had so much of an influence on uh, all the Camaros and uh, all the performance cars, the Vs, Corvette, and so on. It's, uh spends a lot of time out there. Hmm. So how big is your uh, your team? How big is our team? Well, the way we're structured within GM, it's a matrix organization. So if oh, you look okay. on so the they, org chart, they rotate I have uh, an administrative assistant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there are literally 200 people that 
come to work every day to work on Camaro. All the chassis, electrical, interior, integration. Um, and the, the, the neat thing is a lot of our integration guys also work on Corvette. So we've got the DNA of performance. And then there are also a lot of guys who were in the performance division, which I was in the performance division working for Mark. Um, many of my people worked on the original V, uh, the 322V. Um, so the DNA is there for performance and the cross breeding of uh, Corvette and Camaro is, is there on a daily basis. Like it was back in the old days. Absolutely. For a while, anyway. So Ford's got a new Mustang coming. What, how are you guys gonna respond to that? They do. I, actually, I respond. I'm, I'm grateful that they're going to tip their hand uh, before we decide what we're going to do next with the Camaro. Um, I understand from what you read that they're going to come off their LS architecture, which the current one is. They're going independent rear suspension, and I don't know how they're going to take mass out by doing that, but I'm wait, waiting to see. And then, of course, uh, Mr. Mullally has said they're going to put a four-cylinder and everything, so we fully anticipate with CAFE mm -hmm. requirements they're going to enter a four-cylinder into the sport segment. Right. So EcoBoost. EcoBoost. Don't know the volume, if it's an export hedge or what, but I'm glad they have to tip their hand before we do. Uh-huh. Yeah, I imagine that if I'm guessing they'll do a, a, the bigger four EcoBoost to power the standard car and then maybe the EcoBoost V6 and then still have a V8, V8 available. Right. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, it would. So, Jen, should we do our next commercial break? You know, I, th I think we ought to do that. Uh, it's a good time to do it. And uh, yeah. just so happens that our commercial break is going to have us giving a shout-out to our friends at Chevrolet. All right. It was more than a car to him. It really was his baby. That's my old Chevy. Dear God. Okay, Ben, it's time for a rapid fire. Why don't you run it? It's so much better with music. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Al, you know, this is the, the rapid fire part of the show, and Luigi B uh, wants to know, any chance of seeing a hard top convertible Camaro? No. Oh. <laughs> well, there's an easy one. Camaro's so. never had a hardtop convertible, and we're staying true to the... Plus it adds... Mass. Mass and mm -hmm. complication. Mm -hmm. uh, Chuck Grenchy wants to know, next-gen Camaro, when? Smaller, lighter? Well, we talked a little bit about that. Probably be a little bit lighter. We're having fun with this generation right now. Um, we're not done with it. Uh, yeah. Next generation, we've got a look at our CAFE contribution for GM's fuel economy. Um, Plus, you have to take, he has to take the Sergeant Schultz defense. <laughs> I know, I know nothing. nothing. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Mike DeWhite says, any surprises in store for the current gen before it gets redesigned? Yes. <laughs> it's rapid fire, isn't it? Yeah, that's good. We like that. Succinct. Well, well moving just, on. Just, just if I could, we've done everything from transformer cars. We've done synergy green cars you've seen rolling around. David Welch's favorite, by the way. Yeah. You know, right. we've that's done. Right. Um, hey, he's going to New York. Yeah. He's getting a big promotion. Yeah, that's a big deal. For Sorry, Al. That's go okay. Ahead. We've done yeah. indie pace cars. We're doing track cars. We're doing high performance, high horsepower cars. There's a lot of room to play. 
And, and that's part of the secret to the segment, right, is coming out with these different models and variations. Right. And whatnot. Well, I think yeah. we've seen Ford do that with the That's Mustang. exactly, yeah. you're right. Uh, Ford does that about every six months or so. And I think, uh, and I said this before, the great thing about this era, and you mentioned it earlier in the show, we're talking about 580, 662 horsepower cars. We're talking you know, about... that's impressive, but... 326, is that the base? 323 in the V6. 323. Think about it. More that. horsepower than the original Z28. You, you, you cannot buy a Camaro with under 300 and, horsepower. And Sorry, we have you a can't 30, do it. Yeah, we have a 30-mile-per-gallon version of that, too. See, and that's, to me, again, as we said before, yeah, Ford, it's the golden age. Yeah, Ford and Chevy both have 30 V6s, something. <laughs> so how many different models of Camaro are there right now? Well, there's uh, V6 and V8. And then there's coupe and convertible. And then we have a 1LE and a ZL1. That, yeah. um, the, the 1LE is coupe only. ZL1 is coupe and convertible. Gotcha. And then the SS. Mm-hmm. Jeff W. wants to know, any plans to export the next Camaro? Uh, we, we do export this Camaro. Uh, interestingly enough... Uh, in Canada a, doesn't count. Canada doesn't count. But, um, That's not export. We, we ex- nor does Mexico as yeah, really an export. Yeah, for that matter, right. But we've uh, shipped to the Middle East since day one. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, ship to Brazil. Um, we have a car that goes to Europe, uh, China. Uh, inter- interestingly enough, um, typically in a car program, you have to look at homologating or, or, or regionalizing a car, and it adds a lot of cost. But the reason they buy and want the Camaro is because it's an American performance car. Uh, and I'll give you an example. When they showed the Transformers movies in, in China, in Beijing, uh, the uh, authorities had to shut the movie down because it was causing such a, a commotion. Uh, we introduced the Camaro to China sor- shortly after that, and every order was yellow with black stripes. <laughs> so we do export it today in quite a uh-huh. few countries. Very interesting. And Russia. I mean, it's all, it goes everywhere. George from Brooklyn. I don't think he's been out that much. He asks, are there any police Camaros? Uh, there are police Camaros. Um, they've been kind of on a loner basis or parade basis. Um, oh, because oh, oh. I've uh, seen at least one. Right, and we do. We are talking to some of the municipalities. Um, but you were mentioning earlier the uh, SS uh, comes from the PPV uh, police car yeah. off of Zeta One, which is the uh, predecessor to this architecture. Is the one the G8 and the Holden Commodore came off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A.M. Guerrero wants to know, will we uh, be expecting a small displacement turbo in the Camaro any time in the future? No time in the near future. Okay. But you can never say never. Uh, He also says to John and Peter, any comments on the Earth Dreams name of Honda's new generation engines? Well, you know, Honda does some weird stuff. Yeah. As long as they're great. If they, it works for them, I suppose, but, it, you yeah, know. It, I it mean, just, I'm not a big fan of Mazda Sky Active. No, not Sky Active, no. So I don't know about not that. Not the term. I mean, the technology, yeah, but not the name. Uh, was uh, Jerry, Jeff Perry wants to know, was there any thought uh, given to providing an open rear window on the latest generation Camaro? I hear it. Uh, rear at least, quarter window. At least once a week. A true hardtop is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, the difference between the original true hardtops and today is the roof crush tests, and mm. we get regulated out of that, being able to do that uh, successfully mm-hmm. without adding a lot of mass. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, we've got a, a phoner here. Ben, let's go to the first of those. Uh, hi, this is Jeff W. from Albany, New York. Um, in light of the current slowdown of the European market, I just wanted to get the impression of the panel of we're 
Sergio going to find the money to revive Alfa Romeo? I mean, Alfa Romeo's sales are already minuscule, even in Europe. And uh, at this point, I'm not even sure if Fiat can save it. Uh, your thoughts? Thanks. Well, that's a good question. Because, you know, uh, Marchioni has announced that since the European market is tanking, he's cutting out all this investment, half a billion dollars or something like that, just this year alone. I think that's right. And I uh, hadn't thought of that before because Alpha needs help, you know, and if he's cutting back, I don't know what well, is Well, I mean, you know, his statements, you know, when he tried to suggest that all the manufacturers get together in Europe and, you know, stop this insanity of the pricing and stuff. I mean, you know, uh, the European situation could derail Marchioni's plans big mm -hmm. time. And, uh, you know, I, I still, I've never believed the Alpha, the, his bullishness on Alpha by 2014. I just I just don't see it. Mm -hmm. And now this European situation has just really thrown a wrench to yeah. that. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Interesting question. Uh, Scott V says, this is for Al. The ZL1 has this just incredible exhaust note that doesn't quit. How difficult was it to get past EPA decibel levels? Uh, the great thing about that active exhaust is that it's valved. And uh, just a quick story on that. Uh, everyone told me on the uh, how on the Corvettes they pull the fuse or pull a vacuum line uh, to get that sound all the time. Well, didn't necessarily want that sound all the time because eventually it rubs you raw. So, But we did add a a key up mode. So when you start up in the morning, your neighbors will hear you and when you go to work. And my own example to verify we were going to have a hit on our hands was uh, I live in a cul-de-sac in Rochester and um, you don't really see the neighbors much over the winter. And I drove a ZL1 coupe over the winter. And in springtime, when everybody came out to get reacquainted with each other, they said, you know, you leave for work at 540 every morning. And I went to work and said, check, we're done. So uh, you can you can get the pass-by to pass with uh, being a valve system. Uh-huh. Because he says at wide open throttle, I have to believe this car is teetering right on the edge of the maximum allowed by law. Yeah, well, the pass-by test is done uh, based off of gear and where you are at the trap speed on what gear you're in. So, yeah, uh, so that's irrelevant. A, right. Move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Phil in Burlington says, in your coverage of ethanol fuels, well, let's let's stick with Camaro for right now. Uh Here's another guy who wants to know what you're going to do in the future. Sorry, Dan. Uh, he's already told us he can't do that. Uh, Davin DG the Three Gibson says uh, it looks like there is a price and performance gap between the One LE and the ZL One. Is there anything that you'd like to see to fill it? I don't get that. I mean, you have the SS, and then you have the One LE, and then you got the ZL One. I mean, I right. Yeah, the ZL1 uh, is kind of standing by itself. The, the 1LE was meant for the person that wants to race an SS but wants a little bit more than what the SS offers. It wasn't meant to price them out of an SS. Yeah. He also, just a shorthand, it wants to know about a Z28. A Z28. You just never know now, do you? Yeah. The, the, beauty of, <laughs> the beauty of Camaro history is you've got a lot of acronyms, and we haven't used that one yet. But well, It's just like Ford. Ford does the same thing. I mean, you know. They got a lot of stuff in there. Al Jadzak or Jadzak, a retired GM engineer, I used says to sit by Al Jadzak. It, it's good to see that a GM lab rat can make it big. <laughs> I used to sit next to him in the test lab. No kidding. Yes, I did. <laughs> That's cool. Hey, Al. <laughs> and uh, 
He says, by the way, it sure was a good decision on your part to stay with GM over playing ball with the Tigers. What's this? <laughs> That's probably an old story oh. from the lab. <laughs> oh. Were you a, a ball player? In- I attempted to be. I'm glad I'm an engineer, though. Did you uh, get in a minor system or anything? Uh, may have. May have tried unsuccessfully. What position? Catcher. Cool. Ben, I, uh, we got another phoner there. Let's bring that one in. All is for uh, Al Offenheimer. Uh, this is Todd Leppard from Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, I'd like to know if the uh, current uh, Camaro platform will see a version of the 5th Gen small block during its lifetime. And also, do you guys have anything uh, proposed or in the works that can be able to match the Mustang uh, GT500 as far as raw horsepower is concerned? Keep up the great work, great cars. Thanks, man. Bye. Okay. Great questions. Uh, the first question is when I have to take the Sergeant Schultz approach. Yeah. <laughs> the second one is, um, I've said this from day one, we set out for more than just adding horsepower to the SS. It was more about... Uh, technology and performance. I mean, this car makes downforce on the track, and not many people can say that on a production oh, car. So, really, w- I felt it was more than just horsepower. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this car is tossable. It's amazing. I just I just love the thing. Well, you know, the the real litmus test for me was not even so w- how well it handled and performed and all that, but to me, it was just. Everyday driving, yeah, yeah. you know, Every- commuting where you don't even have a chance to really get going on it, and it just rode beautifully. Yeah, That's well, what well really John, you were hesitant me. about taking one up north. Right. You wanted to take something else, but then you were... Yeah, I was supposed were, to get a Cadillac uh, XTS, XTS. But you were shocked at the and I was, Yeah, and I was like, oh, God, this car is just going to beat me up all the way up north. And I, I was blown away by how... And it's that magnetic it's CMR, uh, right? Yeah. And and most people like yourself on your trip will experience the great benefits of MR on just regular roads, uh-huh. um, and won't ever get a chance to test it out on the track. But it was it's it's unbelievable with the performance traction settings mm-hmm. and the electronic power steering. They're all integrated. Is that stuff that expensive? I mean, it just looks like a wire going into a shock. It's a great invention. It sure yeah, but is. I mean. Could this go eventually across the board? At some well, it's point in, in s- several other performance vehicles. But I mean, I mean, could, will, will, could it go in the spark uh, at some point in the future? It, and, and I sure mean, it could. you know, I'm just talking for general for the the industry. I'm not asking you. No, sure it could. Uh, I mean, it's adaptable to, to any vehicle. Uh-huh. Um, if it depends, if you're doing it for just the normal driving, um, I don't know if the uh, spark would chin that kind of cost in the car, but. Right. If you get it into more vehicles, but, I mean, the cost can come down. Super and, expensive technology, or, or no? We that? actually use the next generation too, so you'll see future uses of this, uh, the same level we have on the ZL1. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, probably be the, the last question here. Brad Riley says uh, you got a hill holder feature on the manual, including the SS. He says he thinks you got it horribly wrong. Instead of holding the brakes until you depress the gas. Uh, it holds the brake for two seconds, no matter what. Uh, does he have this right? Uh, leads to the driver fighting the nanny to get going in any normal quick fashion. We do have hill hold, and it's it's uh, based off a combination of parameters about the pitch of the car, the inclines, a five-degree incline or more. Um, you know, if you have a car that has hill hold, I would just say you got to get used to it. If you're in another Camaro and don't have it, 
it does kind of surprise you when you see you've got hill hold, but mm -hmm. we were just adding another feature that we've our customers have said we'd like to see it on the car. Yeah, yeah. Is there any way to turn it off? He also wants to know. Uh, don't press the brake so hard. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, cool, man. It's been great having you on here, talking Thank about you. all this pleasure. general stuff. And it's awesome having a ZL1 in the studio, convertible. Just this brilliant yellow Yeah, what's jet. this yellow color called? Uh-oh. You're testing my market. <laughs> no, no, I just wonder. I mean... Pull me over, yellow? Yeah. You know, that's one thing. I, I, I like when the manufacturers use names for their colors like they did in the yeah. 60s. I think right. there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's a... Absolutely, and have fun with it. Yeah, uh, they should have more fun with it. I mean, there's some of that now, mm -hmm. but there should be more. Mm -hmm. Well, this is probably a good time to wrap up the show. Al, again, it's been great having you on here. Thanks for bringing the yeah, car. Yeah, one, one of the true believers. It's right. always good to have on right. our show. Thank you, Peter. John, thank you. Yeah, and uh, let's see. We'll have uh, the chief engineer for Avalon next week, too, so that could be kind of interesting as well. And uh, great being with you, Peter. Great to see you, John. Great to be here. Glad everyone tuned in. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our sponsors who keep coming back, amazingly enough. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And uh, we'll catch you all next week. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone. Your journey, our passion. And by Chevrolet. Chevy runs deep. Visit our website, Autoline.tv, where you can watch us live Thursday nights at 6 p.m. Eastern. Get your daily news fix with Autoline Daily and in-depth analysis and interviews with Autoline This Week. There's all that and much more at Autoline.tv. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.